Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Um, welcome to this week's episode of Honest Retail. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by Taylor and CJ. We did take a week off uh, last week, but we're back uh, with guests actually kind of coming in uh, the next uh, several weeks. Um, very excited uh, for a good industry friend, uh, Bill, from uh, the CEO and founder of Athletic, Bill Schufelt. Uh, very excited to have uh, Bill on the on the podcast today. I met Bill uh, a few years ago, actually, when I was like just starting on Weedstock. He was like kind enough to be like one of the first 25 or 50 brands that like signed up on our beta when I was just really just pitching like an email. Um, and it was like, I, I still remember going to their Expo West booth, I think like in 2019, and it was just like three of you guys there uh, with like a very small booth. And I don't think, um, like I, I definitely couldn't have predicted, maybe you guys did like this, this rise that you guys have had over the last three to four years. It's been amazing to watch, amazing to see uh, I'm a big customer, big fan, and and we've been really excited to to get you on the podcast and chat. Obviously, we talk a lot about non-alc, and and you're quickly becoming kind of one of the godfathers of of the non-alc space. So, uh, Bill, um, maybe for people who don't know much about athletic, don't know much about you, if you can kind of give a little background on yourself, uh, and we can kind of kick things off um, there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the nice intro, Cam. It's great to see you in person and uh, congratulations on the big news last week. Um, thank you. Yeah, for everybody listening, I had my, my second little guy last week. We were expecting him this week. So I'm very, I, if you, if we don't have video on this, luckily that we produce, but I'm a little haggard today, but I'm, I'm going to bring it on the audio. So thank you, Bill. <laughs> and great to see you, Taylor and CJ. Um, yeah, that was probably, that was most of our team at 2019 Expo, three of us there. Um, and yeah, it's a really fun time in the space. And I'm a huge fan of what you've built at WeStock and uh, Athletic's been right there all, all along the journey with you. Um, yeah, I'm uh, one of the co-founders and CEO of Athletic and um, it's just been a really exciting ride. Um, it's an exciting time in the space in general as people kind of reimagine drinking for the modern lifestyle. Like we're not out to bring back prohibition or anything just had to give people great options that fit in their busy modern lifestyle. So uh, yeah, really excited to be here. Um, didn't, didn't know if you want me to dive in more than that in any way. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, let's kind of, um, I don't actually think we've ever really talked about like kind of the genesis behind it. Like what was like the aha moment for this? And and I think a lot of times too, like as founders, even as much as like having a great product, having a great team, like just executing, it's kind of like the timing of like the market and the openness, to everything like, what was the genesis for starting it? And, and then what was kind of the timing and the cues from the market? We're like, oh, wow, we're timing this idea really well with the general acceptance from the market too. Yeah. Um, so Athletic is definitely not a brand built out of focus groups and stuff like that. It is purely out of my life and my lifestyle. And it, it's kind of two part, like economic, but also impact. Um, my prior life was in the hedge fund world and finance. And I, I really never, ever imagined I would leave that or be an entrepreneur. I didn't have any ideas or desire to be an entrepreneur and it never crossed my mind. But, um, you know, the modern world is a busy place. And I was just like a really, like I was trying to be healthy, just like modern adult, like eating healthy, working out, always connected with my phone. My job was 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. at different times. 
plus like trading Europe and Asia overnight. Um, and there was less and less a place for alcohol in my life. Um, and like, it was just a performance ceiling. And like, I did suspect it was having negative impact on my health, my relationships, my job performance, everything as like, in those times where you drink too much. And then it was great when I drank less. And um, so I stopped drinking for a month and felt amazing and I improved my sleep, my life, everything. Um, and, but like, I was still in all those places. And like, I realized that many people aren't drinking most of the time. Like people consume most of their alcohol. A small percentage of the population consumes most of the alcohol and they do it in very specific times of the week. And to me, it was a very obvious economic opportunity to open up the amount of drinking occasions when people could have great beverages. And in any given bar or restaurant, there is a significant amount of people that are not drinking and looking for better non-alcoholic options. So like on the economic side, the simple back of the envelope math was like, there's a hundred billion dollar beer industry here. There's no innovation or excitement on the non-alcoholic side, but at any given time, call it 50% of people are not drinking or would be more interested in drinking something that was high quality. So I, I saw this, this reason for being that non-alcoholic beverages should be a double digit percentage of the existing adult beverage industry and not really be that cannibalistic to the rest of the industry. Um, but it was like well into business planning for me when I realized the impact side of it. Um, you know, I'd seen the positive impact it had on my life and my health. And then like, I have been to AA meetings and like I did go like really quit drinking. I'm really passionate about my sobriety. I've been sober for coming up on a decade and I was lucky to have really good support in getting there. And I've helped one-on-one -on -one a number of people get sober and seen a huge positive impact on their life. Um, and it's not like I'm on a soapbox or trying to big back prohibition. Like the world is a very stressful place and however people wind down from the world, I'm fine with. But however, alcohol is a huge problem in society. And I saw a very positive and aspirational way to give people a lot of off ramps to alcohol. And if they wanted them, um, you know, alcohol use disorder affects 15 million documented Americans, and it contributes to all sorts of health and family societal issues. Um, and so it was really when I saw that, like, there is a chance by reimagining this category, we could possibly impact tens of millions of people. That's when I was like out the door on my job and like couldn't put out the flame and was so excited about that side as well. So it helped that there was potentially a big economic opportunity, but it was like mostly that that like lights my fire. Um, and that was like the origin of like the why. Um, and then we've been building brick by brick since then. Um, the next year after that was me and John homebrewing on Gatorade jugs. And like literally everything after that is just brick by brick. And then you, you mentioned like not cannibalizing, like kind of the, the liquor options out there, or the, the, you know, the fall alcohol beers, like, um, is that kind of like, was that your end? Like were buyers looking at this as like, oh, this is going to like be an incremental item or is this going to like kind of take away from other options? Like what, what was that early customer? Was it the customers that were looking for like a non-alcoholic option or was it um, like me who was kind of like curious when like I was going to buy like hey I'm going to get my Sierra Nevada but I'm also going to try athletic and, and kind of supplement it that way too I, what were you seeing kind of as like the initial cues or was it pretty like uh, uh, pretty solid from both groups early on yeah so the initial reaction from both brewers 
breweries, distributors, and retailers was very defensive. They were like, whoa, they're trying to bring about this new temperance movement. And A, nobody's asking for it. And B, we're not here for it. Um, it took telling a very coherent story that this is your Sunday through Friday beer. This is your daytime beer. These are extra pallets on every truck that goes out your door. And it's probably not going to eat into the rest more than like health trends already are eating into the rest of that alcohol business potentially. Um, and so that was a big educational battle. And, um, you know, there, I don't want to pretend it was just athletic having these conversations. There's other pioneers in the category who Taylor and CJ know, um, you know, Ted from Partake was emerging around a similar time in Canada and doing great things and super authentically in the category. Um, and the Hoplark team in Canada was coming to their own, or in uh, Colorado was like approaching it from a different angle in their own authentic way in a really cool way out in Boulder. And so there's like these seeds coming up around the country in North America and Europe, like, which are just evidence of a bigger societal trend that I think like we all in our own way started to win over retailers and earn space and like prove the results brick by brick and kind of paved the road for a lot of other companies to come into the category now and give people a lot of options. Yeah. I wish more brand, like whatever brands like listen to this, that are trying to get into new stores and grow in retail. Like if you just clip that part of like, we had to refine our story and like, you were just talking about like Monday through Friday beer and like adding extra pallets to your truck and like finding something after getting pushback, like, a lot of brands don't figure out like what's that story that's going to resonate with that distributor or that retailer in a different way. They're just kind of pushing like their story or their brand or whatever. Like I think that kind of in is, is super creative and, and hopefully a lot of brands like take away that. Um, you know, we, we obviously like love to kind of chat about, um, you know, with our uh, founders that come on uh, about their background and stuff, but I don't want to hug all the time. Like Taylor and CJ, I know you're both in the space. Is there anything you guys wanted to ask before we kind of dive into to the usual flow of the episode? Yeah, I, I'd love it if Bill would kind of hold a mirror up to the industry. Because, I you know, you know, Kim, as you pointed out, like, I think one of the things that we try and do on this podcast is uh, it's not that we're not super interested in the background, but I, like you you as the the clear leader in, in, in non-ALK beer and arguably in all of non-ALK are probably the best qualified to say, hey, this is where I think the industry is going to go over the next five or 10 years, you know, in, in the terms of, kind of direct analogs versus things that aren't analogs and beer versus wine versus spirits. I, I'm, you know, that, that's the thing I'm most interested to see where you think the industry is going to move in the next five years. Well, thank you so much for, um, I don't know if I bring any qualifications, but I'll definitely share some thoughts. I, I, I mean, um, I, can, can you imagine uh, anyone more qualified? <laughs> um, I second sorry. that. Yeah. I second that. Um, I, I will admit I had like, like everyone has their motivation and like I got plenty of like you know mean tweets versions of emails and quotes and like stuff that like I have had from time to time on a quote list on a spreadsheet and unfortunately I've had to um, delete a lot of those because people in the industry have proved to be really open-minded and I, I really don't blame anyone for questioning the um the viability of this segment uh, five years ago, because there was no body of evidence to show really anyone was looking for it and any great sales history. And I, it's been amazing how open-minded the industry has been and come around to it. And uh, I think obviously Whole Foods was most out in front on that and they revamped their set the fastest. And, um, you know, non-alcoholic beer was over 8% of all beer sold at Whole Foods last year. 
um, which is it was probably under 0.5 before Athletic and Partake and launched. So um, it, people have been changing their mind in the distribution tier um, at the Beer Institute and the big guilds and stuff like that and really come to embrace this category more and more. So, um, but where I think it's going, um, I the great thing is, uh, so we've seen, I won't pick out any single trend, but like call it since 2010, there've been, two or three like huge trends that have been fairly boom and bust. Um, they could be based on a flavor. They could be based on a variety or taste preference du jour um, or a good marketing campaign. The great thing about non-alcoholic category in general, beer, wine, spirits, RTDs, is that it's got health and wellness mega trends behind it, which are not going to be going out of style anytime soon. And I would much prefer the category to grow 20, 30% a year for 10 years rather than grow 200% in one year, 5% the next. And um, so I'm, it's great to see that growth be led by discovery, general health and wellness, word of mouth. And I think it's really healthy how it's been grown um, the past four or five years. And so I would really hope to see that continue versus it just explode and be overwhelming. Um, also, speaking for a lot of people in the category who have manufacturing obligations, it's really difficult to scale manufacturing and sales and marketing and all that stuff. So, um, but I, I, so we've seen the best real world analog. Like, so in 2017, I had a 96 page business plan that was basically a white paper. And I was like, I was pointing at Europe and I was like, non alcoholic beer could be 5% of beer. And that would be a $5 billion category. Um, and now, but like in my head, I was like, I'm not putting this on paper, but I think ultimately non-alcoholic drinks should be 50% of adult beverages. Um, just because most people don't drink most of the time and people in any given session, as it becomes socially acceptable, will rotate in the same session much more between alcohol and non-alcohol or just non-alcohol. Um, and so I think the overall category is gonna grow um, of adult beverages as more people feel accepted at bars and restaurants. Um, I think people will drink more drinks when they don't have to deal with the consequences of alcohol. Um, and so, you know, I, Whole Foods is that perfect example. The beer category was 0.3% of beer when, or non-alcoholic beer is 0.3% of beer when this movement started. It's now 8.3% of the beer shop at Whole Foods. It's over 2% of all grocery, even though like, most brands aren't nationally distributed and most sets haven't changed that much. It's starting to change really fast now. So um, I I think by 2025, like 10% of beer at grocery will easily be non-alcoholic beer. When So when, when you look at that, you know, and, and this, is, this is one thing that I go back and forth so much in my own mind. What's, so take any percentage. You've got 50% on the high side. When you started this, you thought it was five or the 10% by 2020. How much of that... And again, this is just opinion only. I'm not going to hold anybody to this. Is going to be taken up by dealkalized analogs versus, uh, you know, uh, some of the other things that are trying to push into the category, whether or not they be kind of like adaptogenic oriented, or you know, on the on the far left, you have people trying to come into that space through the through the cannabis, you know, whether it's CBD mm -hmm. or THC. I like what I'm, what I'm trying to get a sense of is how you think the consumer mind share map is going to look is 
is the growth going to remain again in dealkalized analogs for quite some time or or are we going to have kind of a cambrian explosion there's going to be big winners that are not clearly dealkalized beer dealkalized wine dealkalized spirits yeah i so i think there are pretty high barriers to entry on non-alcoholic versus alcoholic like food safety regulatory pasteurization like pieces of equipment that just cost $500,000 at the very small end fully installed. Um, so I, I do think um, it might be a more condensed category than a category like beer or even some other non-alcoholic beverages. Um, you know, it might look more like the kombucha set in some ways. Um, but I, I do think it'll be very well diversified. Um, so I, I think on and off premise will be very different. Um, I think off-premise naturally leads itself to RTDs more, um, whether that's in beer, in mixed cocktails, um, or um, mocktails. Um, and then I think on-premise will be heavier shifted towards draft, bottled offerings, um, and like actually bartender-made uh, offerings. Um, but I, I think it'll come, I don't wanna like, pass off the question, but I think it'll come from everywhere. I think it's like, I think it'll be a very diversified category. I think there'll be easy ways into the category for people like beer, which people have been drinking for generations. And then I think people will find, oh, well, I like this. And I'm going to also drink a mixed cocktail when I go to a bar, a glass of wine when I'm out on a date. And like, I think like my goal is that people will be able to open up drink menus and get exactly what they get in non-alcohol as they do in alcohol. And I think the breakdowns over time will look very similar, like, you know, a 40, 40, 20 mix or something like that. So, and last question, and then I'll pass off to Taylor. The, that last part, not only do I agree with, I, I'm, I'm excited to see that, but I'm, I guess what I'm most curious about within that is, do you think like there seems to be just a general rule amongst consumers and and this is fragmented to some extent as choice gets better and retailers get better but for the most part you have a clear winner in a category a strong second a distant third and then fragmentation below that um you know and and, and that that holds true in, in in most consumer categories or some form of preto optimization do you think that that you know and i would i would argue that that that's already started to solidify to some degree with athletic as the the kind of very clear winner within that space at least from my perspective but i i can say those words even if you're afraid to, you know don't want to say them on the podcast do you think that will continue in the other categories as far as the the general breakouts or do you see it being being more fragmented um i i think these categories over time are going to be much 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 bigger and more diversified so i i think um winners in non-alcohol will look like winners in alcohol over time and so um yeah i, I think it'll continue but like i i think there's plenty of pie for this category that grows in 2025 2030 2040 so um yeah i know it's really hard to look ahead and see like which categories will be around but i think there's a really clear reason for being in the health trend to point to like this category being absolutely enormous in 2040 so like thoughtfully approaching where we live in those categories for that makes sense great thanks taylor i have, I have one question unless you have any more or everyone oh go for it no, no, do your thing do your thing uh, yeah so bill I, one question i didn't ask uh, or i don't think we've ever talked about like 
was the genesis behind the name just to find something so diametrically opposed to what beer is known for, right? Like the last, like probably thing you would describe beer is, is athletic. Um, is that kind of like, what was the thought process between that? And then I think like the branding and like, you know, you have it in the background, right? The artwork on the cans, right? It, it does evoke like being outside. Like I do a ton of running and stuff. It's like, it looks like literally like a shirt I would get after like a marathon, right? Like there's a lot of like that vibes of just like you know being outside and, and just being active and athletic like what was just kind of the thought process behind the name and then behind the branding because i'm sure um not every name or branding would have been accepted kind of the same way like in this new mark as a new market entry yeah it's um so it's kind of twofold when i was envisioning the name i the existing category was so penalty box so stigmatized it was you know idea like associated with being a designated driver recovering alcoholic medical religious situations and it was a um, like the duels branding <laughs> right. yeah. So, yeah and we yeah we had uh and also like the experience i was having over and over again was you know asking for a non-alcoholic beer at a bar or at a restaurant and like the music stops no one understands what you're saying it's super awkward and um I wanted something that was easy as a bar call, like so people would know what you're saying. Um, it, and it was like undeniably positive. So um, like wanted to empower people, make non-alcoholic beer aspirational, a positive choice, something people would be proud of in their hand. And so really trying to take athletic to that um, and really wanted to build around universal concepts. So not like a region or geography also. Um, and then, in that also, like a lot of the imagery and ethos of the brand is just really authentic to my lifestyle. So it's, uh, I spend a ton of time outdoors and, um, you know, I wish I could spend more time trail running. It's like, but every minute I do have, I try to do stuff like that. It's just with the baby and stuff. So. I feel you uh, for sure on that one. Um, awesome. Well, let's kind of dive into um, kind of the format of the show. Usually what we do now is kind of dive into to brands that have caught our attention. Um, maybe over the past week or two weeks since we haven't connected for, for a little bit, but um, Billy, I know you're, you're probably sampling new beverages and things like all the time. Like, is there any kind of new brands on your radar that you wanted to highlight? Shoot. I just picked up a can last night that I'm tempted to run down <laughs> and get. I'll, but it's uh, well, one I'm drinking a lot of, which I actually just happened to have open on my desk is motto. I'm not sure if you guys have had motto, um, but it was started by two incredibly thoughtful people like out of their own personal life story. But it's a sparkling matcha soda. Um, so I've been drinking a lot of Mato. I'm a proud subscriber on their website now. Um, and uh, I love their branding too. Uh, so shout out them. Um, Is Mato the one? It's like it's like a green matte can with it's, a, a, it's a good. plus sign on it. Yeah, there you go. It's yeah. good, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And so I think they're teasing. They're going to be launching new flavors. But I like their matcha flavor the most. It's like it's like a matcha soda so a touch of energy with like a little bit of honey too very cool yeah the mac can does it for me i've seen that out in the wild and it looks pretty slick on the shelf um so the founder uh over at fresh fizz uh sent me like their version 2.0 of like their their sodas so this is the sparkling jalapeno limeade and i tried this at bevnet uh, over the summer and the jalapeno was like kicking people's ass when they tried it at Bevnet <laughs> and now it's like it's tapered down really like it's awesome uh, and I also have like I'm drinking both right now the blood orange cola uh, I really like it it's like the only ingredients are carbonated water lime juice honey and jalapeno pepper 
So, I mean, that's like, you can't go wrong with that ingredient panel. Um, so yeah, I'm, um, I'm really digging this. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you, uh, for, for sending this over. I've got a full, uh, fridge of them. So I'm looking forward to it. CJ, how about you? Um, one thing I'm noticing is kind of hitting, uh, like it's getting a lot more traction is some of these ketone powders. Um, I've been uh, hearing about this too. Yeah. Element, um, which is like, like the letters L M N P. Um, I, I mean, ketone salts are an acquired taste for sure. Um, but I, I think one of the things that the founder there is doing a really good job of is helping people understand that you don't have to be in a full keto diet to benefit from having keto, uh, you know, ketones in your system, um, which I think could potentially be a big unlock, especially, you know, if you can start to make the claim that it you know, makes you mentally sharper, makes you physically sharper, et cetera. So um, I, I've just been noticing that they've, they've started to figure out to, to maybe Bill's even earlier story, the, the better story of how they're going to go one step bigger. Because I think if you went within the ketone community element was already well, there's no single person within that community that doesn't know what ketone salts are and specifically some of the leaders and making the case of how to jump one step bigger um, is, is I think interesting there. The, the other one I've seen that like, I'm just not sure of, and I haven't ordered it yet. Um, there's, you know, I, I keep on getting blown up on all social media channels about this new fatty acid and the brand is called fatty 15. Um, and it's basically, it's different from an omega three somehow. And, and by saying somehow I'm kind of already having some, some questions about the marketing because they're not able to tell me how just that it'll make me sleep and live better somehow. Um, and I, I, I think that frequently when you're dealing with supplements similar to element, like like communicating features and benefits first, even though you're taught in all classically, you know, trained marketers to communicate like need states and communicate problems and solutions. When you're dealing with stuff like supplements in, in the case of Element or even Phase 15, first you, you can you can actually start with features and benefits to to saturate what are you know almost exclusively going to be like cutting edge adopters. And then you move to slightly more like problem-based communication for the earlier adopters. And then for the late adopters, you're, you're, you're almost solely, you know, talking about positioning need states and, and problem solving. So those are the two that have been kind of catching my eye lately. It just says like straight up fatty, like on the, on the like <laughs> yeah. packaging. It's pretty funny. Um, yeah. Are you seeing, I, I saw like on um, a few social channels, like, um, like creatine in products is actually picking up. Um, are, you see, are you see like I've seen like creatine gummies like I'm trying to figure out like are we going to see like creatine used the same way we see like protein powder like just kind of thrown into like every single product um, and, and like the willingness there from some consumers Bill you're shaking your head yes like are you seeing that I, I've seen creatine come out of everywhere lately it feels yeah. like it's in like the Silicon Valley hype cycle right now so yeah, yeah. definitely interesting to see how much it catches yeah I just like I, it's it's crazy to see like every like everyone's basically like every influencer feels like if you're not taking creatine you're not actually working out it's like okay well okay but like it's it's definitely like seems like it's it's getting pushed out there it's only a matter of time till like cpg starts pushing this into every single product that silicon valley hype cycle is so real like like for the first time ever last mm. week, uh, you know and if we move forward we'll talk about like i, I finally saw a coffee product that maybe addresses some of the idea of like 
coffee plus you know whether or not it's you know you know mushroom based or other adaptogens based and like and talking about it in a way that had nothing to do with like the echo chamber that is the city that i live in um which is san francisco for those that that, that, that are aware so i got i it's, it's taken you know again it's taken like six or seven years to figure out how to, to talk to like the you know the the late adopters about that stuff and and that's the way the categories get big I feel like mushrooms are going to now take a hit because of the popularity of that new show, The Last of Us, on on HBO. I like, told you, I, I told you, I love super mushrooms. about mushrooms for I you. Dude, come on, man, give mushrooms. me some credit where credit is due. Come on. When that, I don't want to spoil the show for anyone, but when that thing opened with like just how bad mushrooms could take over the world, all I could think about was Taylor and like how right she was and how she's predicted the death. <laughs> like I, I, I don't predict much. But I will tell you, I am spraying that shit in my mouth every day. And I was at a retreat last week and everyone's just taking the spray of mushrooms, put it in their mouth. I think it's a revolution. It's a revolution. As long as I don't have to look at them. Um, I have, guys, I have, this is an odd week for me. I have two healthy food options. I don't know go. what is coming, what is happening. Okay. First is a company called Soli, S-O-L-E-L-Y. Um, I love fruit. I eat fruit every day, but I hate dried fruit because for the most part, I think it's like packed. Not like I care too much. I eat frosted flakes every day. Um, but for some reason it, it irks me when fruit is like, you know, covered in sugar and it, it has a lot of extra stuff. Right. So anyway, um, I was at the airport. I picked up like pineapple rings, probably the best tasting dried fruit I've ever had. And then I looked on the back, there is nothing in it. And it's pineapple. So looked online, did some reviews, and it seems like people like really, really like the product line. So I'm gonna look into it more. But I tried it solely. I tried their pineapple. I think it was delicious. And it looks like the whole line is just like zero, just like everything is just like the fruit and nothing else. Um, so that's great. You know, I've been on five flights in the last month and a half. So having something like that is always helpful. Um, and then the other company I've been into is this from the ground up. And I can't remember if I ever talked about it before, but love pretzels and um, they have cauliflower pretzels and cauliflower like sticks. And I'm just like addicted. I think they're just absolutely delicious. So I love like the cauliflower pretzels, twists and the sticks. So who knows? I may have vegan nut butter next. I, I don't know well, yeah. <laughs> where, where, where life takes me in 2023, you know? Phil, you grabbed, uh, did you go grab that beverage? Yeah, well, I was going to say, I love both of those recommendations, Taylor and um, <laughs> CJ. I, uh, the founder of Element was in Club CPG. Um, and uh, yeah, I had tried out those products like super early on, right around their launch. And I do think it like does bring nice clarity to um, just anecdotally in like the limited usage I had with the product. Um, yeah, this is a fun uh I, I saw this just like sweeping the beverage aisle yesterday, but it's called Mortal Power. Um, oh yeah, so big fan. I had, yeah, I had never seen it before, but this is like right in my echo chamber. Green tea, <laughs> pre prebiotic, caffeine, splash of fruit. It's like, I mean, that's all. Fun fact about Mortal Power, um, the same shop that produced Cesario, Crispin Portobogeski, she used to work at as well. Um, you know, I, you know, one of the more creative shops you know, that I've ever worked with as well, Crispin, um, and they consistently make really interesting CPG founders who, you know, can just come out of there and say, hey, I've, I've had an idea. 
all the brands that I've done advertising for don't want it. So I'm just going to go do it myself. Very cool. Very yeah, I cool. know. Big, big fan of that brand for sure. Uh, the, the last thing for me, I just, I, I got to shout out this one brand. I haven't ever tried it yet, but like the one thing is that I've been in a hospital with my wife for the last four days, like with the with delivery of our new little guy. And so like one thing I haven't ate for like years, but like, I just remember where every single time I'm in a hospital is like Jello. It's just a legit mm. snack. It's just so good. I eat it all the time. What a shock. <laughs> I just like, still it, give money to Jello. It's just so good. And it's like, um, I actually talked to this founder last, uh, like last month, uh, I was doing like some office hours with, with like for Natural New York. And there's uh, a girl, Sophia out of New York, and she has a company called Oddball. And it's actually like a new, like uh play on like, um, like jello, like jealous, like a jello snack. And so uh, I tried that. I was like, oh, I got to go find that. So it should be out of New York City. I got to go hunt it down. But yeah, Jello is still still holding it down all these years. Um, so it's uh, that's that's not necessarily anything new. But try, check out Oddball. Uh, they're they're going to try to disrupt that that big uh, Jello set. Um, very cool. So we've um, we've left ourselves twenty minutes to dive into the topics, <laughs> which we usually do with good guests. So so that's that's not um, that's not part of the course for us. Um, I wanted to dive into, I think buy with prime is kind of the key one that people keep bringing up. We see it all around Twitter. A lot of the DTC friends, uh, keep talking about it. And there's been, um, for anybody who doesn't know buy with prime is kind of this new program that's launching in January 31st. Um, it basically allows any third-party merchant to offer prime benefits. So free shipping, uh, free returns on their own app. Uh, it doesn't necessarily play really friendly with Shopify from kind of the reviews I'm reading and some of the pushback from the early beta tester vendors. And you don't actually get access to that first party data, which is kind of crazy. It's still behind like the Amazon um, kind of wall, um, which I'm hearing too. So there has been a little bit of pushback. I still think like it's been overall uh, really well accepted. Uh, I think this is kind of positioning as um, not necessarily as like a Shopify alternative, but kind of like something that um, just puts Amazon in more places, seeing the success that Shopify's had. Um, you know, Bill, um, I'm going to start with you. Um, kind of what were your thoughts on kind of this um, this new offering from Amazon? Have you guys tried it out or looked at it for your DTC's um, um, you know, offerings? And, and we can kind of start there. Yeah, so definitely I've taken a look at it. Um, I, I'm a big believer in omni-channel. You know, people have formed totally new shopping habits. So 80% of people call it, will still always shop at brick and mortar. X percent will only be third-party subscription brands, Instacart, Amazon. And so we kind of believe in being everywhere, um, just where people feel the most comfortable shopping. Um, that being said, I think you touched on the most important thing for me is that first-party data. Um, and it's not necessarily data. It's the customer relationship and the community, um, being able to hear from them directly and being able to get back in touch with them to let them know that something like what they loved is now available or their favorites back in stock. And, you know, being able to like what's so special about D2C to me is it's that relationship. And also for like, at first, kind of similar to what we were talking about before, retailers and distributors were really suspect of us doing e-commerce. And since then our distributors love us doing e-commerce because we test all our innovation on that channel and only bring to retail the highest velocity, best-selling products and a really condensed lineup. Um, so we get a lot of that feedback with the direct customer interaction and can hyper-test those things directly on our own platform where it's harder to do that at retail or Amazon. So there, there's unique attributes like that of every channel. 
one of the things that I, I'm really trying to wrap my head around in this, you know, Amazon buy with prime is part of this is like, okay, like, you know, there may have been an unfair advantage for brands that kind of came of age between 29, you know, what we'll call it 2018 and 2021, because they were given enough money to burn it on, on acquisition via e-com and they got a lot of great data from it. And, and, and now, and, and this is where I, I like, I love your, your, your feedback because now, you know, at, at, even at the board level, I'm having to go into a lot of places and say, Hey, you need to shut down your, your D2C program because you're, you're, you're losing money. You're losing significantly money per case, shipping water, you know, in some cases, water inside melted rocks, it's expensive. Um, you're not going to make that up on volume. And, and while I agree that that data was important at the beginning, we have to curtail that and, and move it to more you know, only places where it can, um, it can be. So I, I'm curious how you are changing your, your e-com and D2C programs. And, and part of it's omnichannel, right? Like as, as a brand matures, you get a lot more into the Instacarts and the third parties than you do on the, you know, the attempt to actually push out ads. But to me, I, I think, you know, we're going to look back 10 years from now and say, hey, well, there was a really interesting period from, you know, 2017 to 21-ish where, where, where Facebook ads were cheaper than they are now, more attributable, better better ROASs, and there was enough liquidity in the system to accept heavy losses on e-com to show top-line growth and consumer adoption. And I'm not sure if we're ever going to go back to that, or at least in the near future. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how you guys are changing your, your e-com and D2C plans to, to accommodate for that. For sure. Um, I mean, so much is timing, lock, environmental macro factors in the speed things play out. Um, I You could definitely make an argument that if Athletic Brewing had launched five years earlier, it, it may not have worked um, or may not have been warmly received. Um, I think there's like the brand and the category story and there's the capital story as well. Um, it was a very receptive time to be pitching long-term growth ideas. And we were mm -hmm. very fortunate to be um, emerging in that time. Also for brand and category, there was a real reason to go fast. Um, this category may or may not happen and survive. So we had to invest to get that ball rolling up the hill. Um, and then um, also there's a there was a window too, you know, it's um, I think an analog could be craft beer or other beverages. Um, you can either be regional, you can be super local, or you could try to be national. And it is really tough to be national. You have to build a whole sales force. You have mm -hmm. to have marketing. You have to really invest to get that awareness away from home. And so we are very fortunate to have all those things line up to have like the story to invest and also the capital to invest happening at the same time. And the macro factors have totally changed. As you said, the cost of advertising, the cost of capital, you know, uh, with cost of capital for emerging brands going up to 10, 15%, um, those timelines for growth to play out are, are very short um, mm -hmm. on that money these days. So every element of our business is built to stand on its own two feet and be profitable. And we really don't chase those unprofitable advertising dollars in the way we used to. Um, so... I think uh, I, I've got to imagine most of the world is going that way. I think there's still some willingness at seed and series A to like get the proof of concept out there. But um, as you said, the world is changing really fast out there. And um, 
it, it's important to build things sustainably and profitably for the long term and the job security of your teammates for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think that was the the really incredible thing that you just said there. And for brands that are listening, is in that time period, you know, with how hard it is to stitch together distribution, especially in beverage. You know, in, in food, sometimes you have the broadliners, but I mean, you have an amazing DSD program. And that that will always take time. So I, I think the question now is, you know, you know, what what are companies going forward going to do to appear to get national or to get national traction in order to 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 help tell their growth story and and you know and help them put that business in a world where customer acquisition costs are higher and capital is more expensive. Um, I don't have an answer yet. As soon as I figure it out, I'll, I'll tell everyone on this podcast, but I think that's, I think that's not, now the question is like, you put it perfectly, like you had an ability to get national data and be available nationally as your store was evolving. And now that's much more difficult. So what are companies going to do next? Yeah, I think it's, interacting authentically where you're doing business too. Um, you know, there's still nothing more powerful than word of mouth. Um, you know, we can, digital ads may or may not be uh, like super effective. They definitely get the last touch attribution, um, but there's really nothing more effective than talking to someone in person and making a super fan who over time is gonna tell a hundred to a thousand people about your products. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, no one, no one loves the answer that like things can't all be done behind a computer, but like there is nothing to replace a day in the field. And, um, you know, anytime I did a sampling at a liquor store or a grocery store, I spent equally as much time talking to the people who work there and the cashiers and making sure they knew every element of our story to tell to a thousand people who came behind me rather than just the like 50 people I'd talk to in person. It's, it's funny you mentioned that when I mean, before I moved over to the investment side, I used to work at Gallo, and Gallo is like one of the really great training grounds for for sales in 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 all of CBG, but BevOps specifically. And they have something called the six standard. Um, you know, the, the, the five standards are everything you'd expect, like pricing, making sure that shelf looks good, chain. Six standard is in every store you in, have you gone up and had a conversation with the floor staff, the cashier, everyone in there who actually interacts with customers. Um, sampled them on your product, told them your story because they're you know they're they're force multipliers if you can get them on your side. I totally agree. Like, yeah, with uh, a perfect example is like at a liquor store, I'd leave a case of our upside down golden ale and say, "Hey, everyone who checks out with this certain beer, I won't name it on podcast in the alcohol world, I'd say, can you put this in their bag?" and send them home with a free beer of it. And who knows how effective that is, but I think it's amazing to put a beer with half the calories and a better taste profile in a bag with their like three times a week purchase. It's mm -hmm. mm -hmm. great. Awesome, Taylor, have you seen any brands kind of starting to adopt um, the Buy With Prime um, tool and kind of are you hearing any feedback from your brands on it? Not necessarily, but I was going to actually just jump on kind of CJ and Bill's point. I was yeah. talking with um, <clears throat> the, the I connect, CJ's all connected to him too, but the head of uh, beverage sourcing, global beverage sourcing for Walmart. And, and one of his biggest bits of feedback is, you know, there's like targets of the world and Walmart's the world. Everyone, you know, it's super aspirational to get into these places. And they're kind of like, all right, I want to be in these markets and I, I want to be in Walmart's everywhere. And out of all the things that he shared with me, he's he's been with the company, I believe, a little under 30 years. Um, the one piece that stuck with me is just kind of building on what you guys are saying is around, 
he's like, look, this is great. But like at the end of the day, first brick by brick, like you had said that bill really honestly, like for all these companies, we try to iterate, like when it makes sense, just own a market, own something, own it. And just and make sure that you, you feel confident in whether it's a market or initial product and then go from there. Um, but outside of like focus on like really regionally building a company brick by brick, he had mentioned something about the consumer feedback and feedback as well. So he was like, look, like my biggest piece point of, uh, you know, piece of advice is like, let's say you're in Nebraska, like not only can you, should you come to us with, okay, we sold this many cases in Nebraska or this many pop tarts, whatever. We had someone parked in front of Walmart, your stores. And we spent as much time, we got 1500, you know, individual pieces of feedback. Not only did we get feedback from your customers, but here's the one thematic that resonated. It's the strawberry flavor or it's under five bucks. He's like, from there, it's very easy for us to, you know, plug and play what you're doing in other markets and other states and whatever. He's like, but just getting that feedback from our customers, not only just like here, they like the product, but as specific and granular as you can get, he's like, it's going to be benefit everyone involved. Um, so I, I'm a huge proponent of all of that. And literally you know, getting into these places, getting feedback, iterating as you go, but really understanding like what's working, what's not, and kind of, yeah, like iterating along the way based on on that information, I think is like highly valuable, especially when you don't have the ability to outmarket, outsample. It's just really honing in on who's trying your product, what what they like, what they don't, and really using that to your advantage. I would say, uh, moving forward. Awesome. Yeah, that was a great conversation. Uh, I think we're gonna have time for one more topic. So I guess I'm maybe I'll leave it up to the group. We can like we chat about the slate rounds, um, slate chocolate milk round. We can talk about the flow ride at eighty two million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can talk. We can talk. We, we can talk about. Local I don't have anything to say. There, good for him. <laughs> no, yeah, no, right? about flow rider. Like, like just like, but this. I, I thought the slate milk thing was fascinating, and and. Like buried in that article was that like Slate Milk was like the number one requested brand on Instacart. Like I, for as much as this podcast talks about plant-based alternatives, like right now, I'm not so sure that Coca-Cola would trade Fairlife. In fact, I'm certain Coca-Cola wouldn't trade Fairlife for Oatly. Um, and, and, you know, Slate is just another kind of data point here that like maybe like cow milk isn't dead. Um, and there, there are different ways to, to make it palatable to folks, but, um, I, I was impressed they did that round. I, I think the product's cool. And I was, I was surprised to see it was the number one requested brand on, on Instacart. Um, that's great. Good for them. I, you know, we talk about it all the time. Like it's, it's a lot easier to like get people to just buy a slightly healthier version or like get behind a slightly healthier version of like what they're usually buying. So milk or chocolate milk or whatever, and, and fixate on like, oh, this is high protein, right? And like the good component of that versus getting them to like totally transition over to like an oat milk process product or almond milk products. And you obviously already know that that market segment is so much bigger. Um, and that story is so much simpler to tell. So yeah, I love, I mean, Josh, Nick, the, the team over there, uh, kind of what they're building. The product has been iterated a lot and it just continually gets better. I didn't love it when it first came out, but like now it's an awesome product and I buy it all the time whenever I see the shop, right? Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I, I guess I wasn't surprised that I saw the round come through. I just like, uh, I think I'm surprised at how quickly they're growing over the last few years. And it seems like every time I sign on to LinkedIn, they're, they're launching a new retailer and they're, they're crushing it there. So, um, it's great to see, um, Bill, what, what's kind of your thoughts, um, on this, uh, raise and kind of the product and have you tried it before? And, um, um, and also too, I guess 
your thoughts on what we're talking about, like, you know, kind of animal products versus, you know, um, the kind of vegan wave that we've seen over the last few years? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely here from it. I will say our house is almost entirely vegan, at least during the week. Um, my wife mm. is always plant-based. Um, and I, I, like, I tend to sprinkle in meat when I go out to eat, um, just in case there's some nutrient deficiency I'm missing. Like, I'm not that dialed where I couldn't, like, I could potentially have a huge blind spot. <laughs> um, and so I, I love to see it. I think, um, I, I think beyond like just the products and the health and things like that, I think um, humans getting being able to make healthy food at scale in a manufacturing sense, whether it's grown in big fermenters, like stuff like that, I think is great knowledge to have for the future. Like you never know what climate or population pressures will create on the food supply. So if we can make food, that's great. And um uh, it's also great to see fundraising rounds get cl closed. It's, uh, it's yeah. I think, I think seeing a lot of seed in series A, much, much less series B, C, D funding going through these days. Um, so, um, I just know how tough the environment is out there from like friends who are in all different stages of raising. And, um, so it, I'm just really glad to see rounds going through and innovation coming in the pipeline. Yeah, CJ, that, that raise can be like as clean as like what we talked about with like Chubby's like, hey, listen, Uncrustables does this much. Like if we just take a percentage of that, this is big. It's like yeah. Nesquik does this much. And if we can take like a little bit of like that yellow bottle off the shelf, like I mean, it's a big business. I got, I got like, I, I'm the first to admit when I've, when I've missed something, Nick Rellis told me that I should go talk to Slate and it fell through the cracks and I shouldn't have. And, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do great. Taylor, how about you? I, obviously, Taylor, I'm kind of yes, big chocolate milk fan. But what were your thoughts on the on the raise and and um and kind of um, have you tried this product before? Um, I I don't like chocolate milk. I only wow. like hot chocolate. I only like hot chocolate, but I do <laughs> like Manny and I like the team. No, I I really like what they're doing. I funny enough, I watched them on Shark Tank and. And I was texting him as I was watching it, but I've had too many friends on Shark Tank now and clients where I'm like, let me just wait and see what happens before I text them, right? Um, so that shows for some people, it's not for others. I, I don't believe they got a deal on that show, um, but I I do like what they're doing. And again, like I'm, while I, I, I have tried it, I like it. I don't necessarily drink chocolate milk day to day. Uh, I'm a hot chocolate connoisseur, Bill, in case you're wondering, Swiss Miss specifically. Um, but no, I mean, look, I, again, kind of goes back to what we talked about, which is like any of these brands, even if you think about like a magic spoon, people like comfort, they like nostalgia. And even to your point, Cam, like even if it's a small subset of a wider market, I think there is a market for people that want the cereal, that want the chocolate milk, that want something slightly better or slightly different, right? Whatever that is. And so it may not be the whole market, but if they can carve out that kind of unique area where I don't know if anyone else is owning that per se in a space where there's so many brands that are doing the same thing in beverage, I think it could be an area that they own and they continue to, to grow and scale. And it sounds like now they have more funding to do so. So happy for them. I will maybe convert over to chocolate milk. I don't know. But uh, in the meantime, I agree. It's nice to see people we know in our community closing around. So um, yeah, really happy for them. Yeah, one week we have to have a longer conversation about like Shark Tank is like, especially for consumers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like it's oh, becoming yeah. like 
it's kind of like like year one get into air one like year two get on this is like the yeah. fast growing like cycle like and it just seems like especially for consumer brands like there's a ton of like you know like franchises and things like that that kind of wash away there but like the staying power especially for the cpg products that air on there and then convert on like seeing it firsthand in my last company like it, it is just such a high ROI. Who, who cares if you don't get the deal? The, the valuations are such like kind of crap on that show, anyways. Like you probably don't want it. Like you're just there for the marketing input, like bump. And so yeah, we have we have to kind of like do a like again, like we need an intern for the show. We got to do like a we got to kind of see what that like ROI is on that, and like how many of these brands actually succeed after because it does seem, especially for CPG, that the store has like that that show has a really big ROI for a lot of these brands. We should have we should have Will back on from IQ. Will did a whole thing. I always go back to Will's LinkedIn post here, but Will did something about Shark Tank last week. And he was like, I know this is going to be polarizing, but I think Shark Tank is crap. And here are the reasons. I think we should have like a rapid fire people that got funding, people that didn't. We can bring feedbacks on. We've obviously seen a lot of success through Shark yeah. Tank and Mark and Jeff. People that didn't make it, people that made it. But I, I don't know. I think it could be really fun because there's so many different ways that you could look at it. People that applied multiple times, never made it and are still successful. So, yeah, I think it'd be a really fun conversation to have. I, I love Shark Tank because it's the only way I could get my mother-in-law to understand what I did for a living. Like, I <laughs> tried explaining it, like, for hours. Like, and, and then I was like, you know what? Shark Tank. <laughs> Shark Tank. I, I do Shark Tank. Like, and, and then, boom. Like, yeah. I do remember pitching you and James for the first time. It was you guys rolled out between two chairs and I just had to sit up on a stage and pitch you guys similar to the <laughs> yeah. show. It was very yeah. intimate. <laughs> um, all right, well, Bill, I re we really appreciate it. Um, I, again, like uh, watching the trajectory of this company is is amazing and we wish you nothing but the best. I got to get up to Connecticut to, to see the brewery at some point. And yeah, to go. good luck on the also the international expansion that's coming and everything. Uh, nothing but good things your way in 2023. And, and hopefully we connect here in person at Expo West or a show coming up here soon. But we appreciate the time and uh, thanks so much. Oh, thank you all so much. So much fun to be on here talking CPG. Um, I mean, I could go on forever with you guys. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to come on and hopefully see everyone in person before too long. Appreciate it. We will see everybody, thanks, everybody. Uh, next week.